as I come up. We are beginning a new series for the Christmas season called The Light of the World, and it's taken from the I Am statement from Jesus that he makes in in John 8, 12. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. So in the classic biblical metaphors, light represents life and goodness, and uh, darkness represents uh, evil and, um, you know, the, the kind of the, the bad stuff, the darkness. And um, darkness is scary. Uh, my daughter, Natalia, when she was not so much now, but uh, a little while ago, uh, whenever she went to bed, she had a certain kind of ritual. And, and uh, she was a little bit afraid of, uh, of things in the dark. And uh, one thing that she always needed to be done is we always had to make sure the closet door was completely shut and was tight. And uh, because everybody knows that when the closet door is closed tight, it is an invisible force field that the monster behind it can't get out. But if the closet door is open like a crack, he can get his fingers around and open it up. And when the dark comes, he's going to come and get you. And so we always had to make sure that that was totally closed. And, uh, and when I tucked her in, we had to tuck her in so that she was all wrapped in and there was no covers hanging over the bed because you know that when the lights go off, the monster under the bed is going to grab one of the covers and pull himself up and get you. And so all the covers had to be all tucked in and, uh, and you, she had to be so tucked in because she didn't want her arms or her legs to accidentally reach out over the edge of the bed. Because we all know that the monster that's under the bed, when the lights go off, are gonna, he's going to grab your arm and he's going to get you. And so we had all these, we had to do all these things and make sure she, was, she felt snug and she was all good and safe. And um, the darkness is scary. And, uh, and it kind of it shows up and, uh, and, and it can play in our fears and it's quiet and you're there in the dark and, and all of a sudden you get all kind of un, unsettled. And uh, between our kids' activities and our, our ministry schedule, it's pretty hard for us as a family to all be together. And uh, it's just, it's, it's become challenging, as, especially as our kids get older and their activities with youth and sports and their friends and all those things pick up. And so it seems like we're always going. And uh, if, if we can manage, even if it's just one Friday night a month and we're all together, one of the things we like to do is have like a, a homemade pizza night and a movie night and just kind of all sit together and, and, and just spend some time together uh, watching a movie and, and, and chilling and hanging out. And um, a few years ago, my wife, Angela, was out on a Friday night, and so I was at home with the kids, and uh, I, was, I was, dads call it looking after the kids, mom just calls it, just, she's at home with the kids, cause, but somehow dads think we're babysitting when we're at home alone with our own kids, because it's a lot of work, and, um, and, uh, and so I was at home babysitting my kids, okay, and, uh, and, and, and it, it, one of the rights of a dad is to introduce your kids to the best, coolest movies. Like, that's a, that's a, that's a part of being a dad. And um, it was challenging, especially a few years ago, because uh, the age spread of my kids was really wide. And Ava, my youngest, uh, you know what? Littlest Pony was cool. Smurfs was cool. But the older ones, they were like, they don't want to watch Littlest Pony. They wanted to watch Jason Bourne. And that wasn't cool for the little one, right? So we had this big, like, oh, what are we going to watch? And, and, you know, nobody was happy, and uh, somebody was plugging their ears or covering their eyes way too often, or somebody was, like, rolling their eyes way too often. And, uh, and so it was, it was challenging. And so this, this particular night, um, 
my wife was, was out and I was babysitting my kids and um, uh, Transformers was on. And uh, I, I have a confession to make that I made a judgment call as a dad uh, at that, you know, my daughter being age five or six. And I thought, you know what? Let's do this. And so we, we made some popcorn and we went down and we watched Optimus Prime save the world. Now, you may think that we're the pastor's family and we should be at home praying and talking about how Jesus saves the world, but that didn't work. We were at home watching an alien race invade Earth, and uh, they were shapeshifters, and it was awesome, and uh, uh, it, was, it, it was really cool. Like, it was, a, it was oh, I just felt like I was in this milestone moment where we can all watch, like, cool movies together. And uh, about halfway through the movie, Ange came home, and she looked at me, and you know, there is something that a wife can do where she can say things without even saying things. And she looked at me, and without any words, she said, what are you doing? Are you dumb? This is not appropriate. I leave the house for two hours, and the kids are at home drinking Coke and eating chips and, and watching shape-shifting aliens invade Earth? Like, how is this a good idea? And uh, I was like, it's relax, it'll be fine, honey, it's okay, we're having fun. And, and, and it, it was good, it was awesome, until about 2 a.m. And we had a crying, shaking, fear-infused five-year-old trying to crawl into bed with us. And Ange just said, uh-huh, <laughs> you're dealing with this one. And I was like, oh, so I got up out of bed and went and calmed her down and hugged her and, you know, we got her all tucked in and got her all in. And... Um, and then you know what, what came next. What came next was, Dad, can you leave the door open and leave the light on? Because when she crawled into bed, she said, uh, I, I said, what's wrong, honey? And she said, um, my pillow turned into a robot with big teeth, and it was trying to eat me. And... Uh, and I knew that I'd failed, and my wife was right, and, I, and so I, I got her tucked in, and, and you know that any noise in the middle of the night, in the dark, and for sure, there's a big robot with big teeth coming after her, and the only thing that would work is for her to be able to have the door open and the light on shining in, and then it was like somehow the light had this magical power to chase away all the fear and all that, all that darkness and all that sense of, 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 of being afraid and evil and all that. And it was, it was all gone. And you know, when, when Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, it actually is a multi-layered theological statement that speaks volumes of how powerful he is, of his character, his nature, his goodness, and all these kinds of things. And it is quite a declaration and when we understand that light actually chases away the darkness, light chases away the evil, and somehow it's like when you can see and it's, it makes everything that much better and you feel that much more safe. And Jesus is saying, hey, I'm the light of the world. And we don't have to be afraid of the things that we would be afraid of in the darkness. Um, when Jesus says, I'm the light, one of the things that he reveals is he reveals that uh, he's good. He reveals the goodness. In 1 John 1, 5, there's this, this verse that says, this is the message we heard from Jesus, and we now declare to you, and we read this this morning. It says, God is light, 
and there is no darkness in him at all. And scripture tells us that, that darkness and, and, um, and light, they have nothing in common. They're actually opposites. They don't coexist. Where there is evil, it does not mix with good. Where there is dark, it does not mix with light and vice versa, especially when it comes to deity. And Jesus has a complete lack of darkness and evil. It says in him there's no darkness at all. He is light. And what this is doing is when Jesus claims to be light, it is actually a revelation uh, that everything about him is good. And when you think, how do I know that Jesus is good? How do I know that he, he's all these things that he says he is? Because the Bible says that he is light, and in him there is no darkness. And light means the goodness. Light means no evil. Light means that this, is, this is, exudes from Jesus and his character in every way, in every area. Everything about him is good. The other thing that Jesus uh, reveals when he says, I'm the light, is he reveals that he has a heart for restoring life. The first place we see light mentioned in scripture is all the way back into the creation narrative in Genesis chapter one. And it's in this, in, in this passage where uh, the world is formless and empty and it's covered in darkness. And Jesus speaks these words. God comes and he speaks these words. He says, let there be light. And scripture says, there was light. And the first thing that God does is he brings light into this dark, formless confusion. And light speaks of the creative and redemptive work of God showing up in the darkness and making something good out of it. Sometimes life knocks you down. Sometimes you get taken to the ground by stuff that happens in life. And I would say that it, it would be not that far off to venture that there would be people here today that you would actually feel like you are Humpty Dumpty, like you, life pushed you down and broke you up. And you're laying there, and, and life is in pieces all around you. And you're thinking, how did I get here, and what am I going to do? And, there's, and you don't know what to do. And you're, you're laying there in this mess, and you're laying there in all this, just like when, when, when God came, and it was formless and void, and there's no hope, and there's confusion, and it's in darkness. And Jesus comes along to our mess and our brokenness and he looks at us and he, he looks down at all the pieces of us laying all over and he says, I picture him kind of in like a, a, an English accent and he says, well, it's not so bad. You know, it's just a scratch really. And he says, I can, I can work with that. And he looks at it and he thinks, you know what, I, I can do something with this. And when we think our life is so broken and so Jesus can come in and he says, well, I can, I can take that piece and that piece and yeah, I, we can do this. We can make something. And what happens is it's like Jesus can whisper into your soul, let there be light. And think about the significance when Jesus, let there be light and, 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 and creation starts to come together. And now there's purpose and there's meaning and, and creation. Everything's set in order and everything begins to unfold. And Jesus can come to us and he can whisper in our soul, let there be light. When we're hopeless and laying in ruins, and he can turn the mess into something great. And I would venture to say that some of us in this room today need to hear Jesus whisper those words over our soul. When you look at your life and what's going on right now, and you think of some of the challenging things that you're facing, you think of some of the ruins and some of the pieces 
and you have no hope, could it be that Jesus could just come to you and just actually whisper into your ear, whisper into your spirit, let there be light. Let my presence, let my strength, let my goodness, let the light of God come and begin to turn what is broken and what is void and what is without form and turn it into something great and something beautiful. And this is what we see in the creation narrative. It's the first place we see light. The other thing that I see about this when he, when he talks about light is Jesus is really revealing his heart for the lost because he, he, he makes this statement that I'm the light of the world. And this is significant. Last week I spoke from a few chapters over in John 10 where Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. And one of the things that distinguishes Jesus as the good shepherd, scripture says is that he will actually go out and he will find the lost sheep and he will bring them home again. He will, be, he will be the light. He will lead them back to where they need to be. This is what makes him the good shepherd, is he's willing to go out and find the lost sheep. Jesus has a heart for all of the prodigals and lost peoples of the world. It is witnessed and seen in his parables and his teaching again and again. And what is significant about Jesus emphasizing this is it's a radical shift from what had been practiced up until this time. So you will hear me talk a lot about the law and the old covenant and things because if you read the New Testament, this is, this is the foundation for the shift that Jesus makes. And it, it's, it's significant. It's something that we have to pay attention to and understand. And before Jesus showed up, the only way for someone to have faith in God was to come under the, the, the Mosaic law, the old covenant law. And in order to, to take on these spiritual beliefs, it actually required you to adopt the lifestyle and the customs and the culture of being a, a, a Jew. It wasn't just a set of beliefs. It was you had to totally come under and, and adopt the whole way of life and the whole way of living. And so what this did is it really was an obstacle and it prevented many other people from coming to faith in God and establishing their faith in God. The cost was really high. So we see things like the demands for circumcision. This, again, was a stumbling block in the New Testament church because people didn't want to do this in order to believe in God. And so what we see is we see very few people from other cultures and other country, kingdom, races, all these things, they, they, do, not, they do not kind of take in the, the God of the Hebrews, the Jewish God, the God of Abraham, the God that we understand and worship and know as God the Father. And then when Jesus comes along, he says, hey, I'm the light of the whole world. What he's doing is he's announcing that faith in God is no longer found just under the Jewish Old Testament, Old Covenant code. There's a different way. And so remember when Jesus, when he, he, he dies on the cross and scripture tells us the temple veil is torn in two. Well, the temple veil kept the distance from the inner Holy of Holies where the work of, of, um, of sacrifices and forgiveness on behalf of God's people were made. And it was, only, it was very limited to just the high priest and the access. And so what happens is um, when the temple veil is torn in two, it is sim symbolizing and signifying that we all now have access into the Holy of Holies, into the innermost place with Jesus where we can receive forgiveness. And what it's doing is it's saying you no longer have to find God by going through this religious ceremony and adopting all of these things. Now you can find God, how? By faith in heart. 
by forgiveness of sins, by opening your heart. And it's a work of faith. And so what happens is when Jesus comes and he says, look, I'm the light of the world. He doesn't say, like, I'm the light of the Jews. I'm the light of this way. He says, I'm the light of everybody. And everybody can come to me. And he makes a big change and he makes a big shift. And Jesus is the light of the world. It's declaring his love and forgiveness for everybody. Revelation 7, 9 says this. John the Revelator says, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count. And he says this, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. And when Jesus makes this declaration that he is the light of the world, it is a declaration that he is for everyone. Every nationality, every country, every demographic, every race, every age, every um, economic status, we all can find Christ. There's an invitation from Jesus for all. All. And this is a major change and a major shift from what happened before and how people encountered God. And this became a big part of Jesus when he says, I'm the light of the world. I'm going to get the band to come. We're going to get ready to, to close and uh, trying to keep the talks a little bit shorter uh, right now and leaving some time for some just prayer and seeking the Lord. So we're going to get the band to come. But the last thing I want to talk about is uh, one of these things that is revealed is that Jesus reveals the incarnate presence when he says, I'm the light of the world. And I think this is part of what we're getting at when we're thinking of let's start a Christmas series and it's about Jesus and the light of the world and of course, that metaphor and that, that, that thinking and that image, I think, is so fitting for us. When Jesus declares he's the light of the world, he is teaching in front of the temple in Jerusalem. So this is where it really helps to understand some of the things that were happening in the culture and in the day and to understand some scripture that, that Jesus was actually teaching to a Jewish audience. And so how, how do these words make sense to, to uh, somebody from that background and that faith. What is Jesus saying? Well, it's important to know that while this was happening, while Jesus is making this statement, it was during the Feast of Tabernacles. And one of the main ceremonies during the Feast of Tabernacles was lighting the great golden candelabra at the front of the temple. And they, they, it was lit as a way to commemorate God showing up in the pillar of fire in the Old Testament. And so they had this religious ceremony during the Feast of Tabernacles, right when Jesus was there preaching and teaching. And all these people would come in and see this big, this big image and this big flame. And it was designed to bring glory and honor to God for not abandoning them in the wilderness. And so the backstory, in case you, you're not aware, you don't know what I'm talking about, is in Exodus we see where God sets the Israelites free from, from captivity in Egypt and leads them to inherit the promised land. And along the way, before they get there, they have unbelief and sin and they look to false gods and they don't believe that God is going to deliver them and, 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 they, and they don't put their hope in their faith. And, and really, they, they, this, this kind of... This causes some, some problems for them. And as a result, they are to walk around in the wilderness for 40 years before they can inherit the land. But God makes a promise to them. He says, I won't leave you, and I won't abandon you. And in fact, I'm going to give you 
a pillar of fire by night so that you know how to, where to go and how to... And how to tra- so they're traveling around and this pillar by fire is lit up. And this is significant because the pillar of fire brings them light so they know how to navigate through the wilderness in the dark. And it's significant because they know that if they open up their tent in the middle of the night, as long as they look and they can see that pillar of fire there, they know something. They know that their God is with them and their God has not abandoned them and their God has not forsaken them and their God is there to lead them. And so the pillar of fire, the pillar of light is significant to the Hebrew people. And it is at this time when all of these people are coming to the temple to worship at the Feast of Tabernacles, to observe this ceremony, that Jesus, he stands out front. And the significance of God's presence in the wilderness, and it's like Jesus says, hello, don't you get it? It's me. Yeah. The light that it's me. I'm the light of the world. In the same way that God your Father did not forsake your ancestors and showed up and helped them to find their way in the darkness, helped them to find their way out of the wilderness. In the same way that they could look up and know that they knew that they knew that they know that their God is still there. Jesus says, Yeah, isn't it cool? It's me. I'm the light of the world, not just of of the Jews, of the Hebrews, but I'm the light of the whole world. Just as the Israelites needed the pillar of fire to save them, so the world needs Jesus, the light of the world, to lead us out of the wilderness of our sin. So think about the significance of what is happening when Jesus makes his statement. And now read John 8, 12 again, where it says, I'm the light of the world. Jesus says, if you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you'll have the light that leads to life. And to the Jews that were here, that were going into the temple to commemorate the pillar of light, it was like, ah. And all of a sudden, the significance of what Jesus is saying is he saying, I am with you. I am right there. Your God has not forsaken you. Your God has not left you. He has not forgotten you. He is right here. I am right here. And if you come to my light and you follow me, you don't have to walk around in the wilderness, in the dark. I'm the way out of the wilderness of your sin. Jesus says, I'm the way out of the wilderness of your addictions. I'm the way out of the wilderness of your financial ruin. I'm the way out of the wilderness of your broken relationships and your struggling marriage and your struggles with your kids and your coworkers. I'm the way out of the wilderness. If you hold on to me, you don't have to be in darkness. Jesus is the way out when you're lost and you don't know where to go. Jesus is the way out when you're like Humpty Dumpty laying in the ruins with pieces all around. And he comes and he says, let there be light. And he whispers in your soul, he says, follow me. And if you follow me, you don't have to be alone in the darkness because my presence is there. 
And so I would be so bold to say this this morning that no matter what wilderness you're lost in, Jesus is the light and he is the way out. No matter what your wilderness is, the signs all point to Jesus being the way. He is the light. Jesus came to us as the incarnate God, the Christ child, to be Emmanuel, God with us. The significance of Jesus coming is to model and demonstrate that he is the incarnate God. He is the God with us, for us, among us. That is the gift of the nativity. That is the gift of Jesus coming as a baby. That is the gift of the Christ child. And it is a declaration that he is our pillar of fire. In our darkness and in our wilderness, Jesus is there. He hasn't forgotten. And he says, follow me, hold on to me. I know the way. Let's do this. And so I want us to do something a little bit different today. I thought, could we really come together and and just worship and make a declaration as we kind of wind down our service today? And we sang a song earlier, I think it's so awesome, that where there is no way, you make a way. That God makes a way. That Jesus is your pillar of fire. Jesus is your light. Jesus is our light. And could we make a strong declaration today that says, God, where there's no way, you're a way. You make a way. You're my light. You're my light. And let's honor God in that way. Why don't you stand with me today? I'm going to invite you to stand and um, we're going to, we're just going to worship together. I encourage you to take a moment. Don't let this moment be lost and declare to God and ask, say, God, I need a way. Make a way. And declare and say, God, you are my way. And let's worship the Lord together, and then we'll dismiss in just a moment.